The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. The scripture for this morning is um, from Mark chapter 5, uh, verses 21 through 42. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Caroline. Well, um, it's good to be with you. Thanks again for being here this morning. And um, again, I mentioned this, I would love to get to know you if I haven't uh, met you already. And uh, please uh, email me or uh, let's set up a Zoom call or a coffee hangout outside or something like that. I'd love to hear your story and connect you further in our church. I've done that with quite a few people in different ways. So uh, especially with the medium of Zoom now, we could, you know, if you live kind of far away and can't make it, it's easy to to do that as well. You know, one of the things that um, I've recently learned, we have a person on staff now in the larger Christ Presbyterian Church. She primarily works at uh, the Old Hickory location, who used to be a Discovery Channel uh, producer. And um, that has, especially for me, that you've heard me mention this before, as a uh, a creepy Shark Week advocate who loves it like crazy, I'm constantly peppering her with questions, uh, (laughs) asking her things, and she has a lot of good answers. She's actually like seen and seen the shark or seen the, you know, the cameraman or, you know, those kind of things, and I just love that. Um, 
But another thing that she's been a part of a lot of other uh, you know, parts of uh, discovery is some years ago when a guy named Nick Walinda uh, decided he was going to cross the uh, Grand Canyon on a tightrope. Now, some of you may have heard of him doing this somewhat more recently. He did this on, I guess it's ABC, I can't remember what, some mainstream channel. And uh, if you watched him, he walked over a volcano and he was tethered to this thing and, and, and having uh, this uh, Sarah now, this former producer, I've asked her questions because she was at the original event uh, in long ago when he crossed the Grand Canyon. And the reason that, that Nick Walinda back then, years ago, crossed the Grand Canyon and did uh, all that with Discovery is because they let him do it without a tether. So I don't know if you saw this, but you know, ABC recently had him do it when they had a tether and she was like, that's nothing. We had like a binder this thick that he had to go through and sign just for his like safety. And <laughs> he had to cross 1,500 feet on this wire. And uh, she even has a piece of it, she said. It's this huge cable. You know, you, you see it on TV. You don't know how big it is, but the cable's like that big around. They had to stretch it across hundreds of feet down. And, uh, you know, there was like a 10-second delay, and she told me too as well that, uh, that at the bottom of the canyon, of the Grand Canyon, was an ambulance waiting in case he fell, which is a little like, if you're falling that high, it, it, ambulance ain't going to do a whole lot for you. Uh, but that's what she said too. She was like, oh, we just kind of did that for, you know, looks and such. But, um, but, uh, but what was even more fascinating was as he crossed it, uh, he was constantly praying. Um, he was, you know, praying. And I, gosh, if I was walking across a wire and in the middle of the green, I'd be praying pretty loud too. Uh, but he, he was saying not just prayers of God, get me across, but thanking God, you know, for creation and those kind of things. And it, and it stirred a bunch of, of Twitter feeds, particularly, you know, he wrote out on, he tweeted out, you know, thank you to all those who believed and then others, you know, jumped on and began to, to say things. And I love what they put. Some of them funny, some of them serious. The first one was, this is proof that God is capable of awesome things. You can't tell me that God wasn't watching over him. Another person said, and uh, this is for you students out there, ba- barely even opened my French book for this exam. Praise you, Jesus. You're my savior, Jesus. Take control over these exams. Wouldn't, wouldn't you know, advocate for that tight rope right there. Um, but the, the last one was probably my favorite. It said, this could be a PR nightmare for Jesus if this thing goes wrong. Um, which really, in, in all seriousness though, I mean, as funny as that is, what if he did fall? You know, what, what, what if he had, had fallen? No tether, fallen all the way down the Grand Canyon. Would it have rendered his faith and faith in general useless, Dead. I mean, it's an interesting thing. What is belief? I mean, you, read, you heard all those Twitter, you know, comments. Is belief trusting enough that you don't even have to open your French book? Is it enough to get you across the Grand Canyon? It is, what, what is belief? This word faith and belief are thrown out so often in particularly even religious circles that sometimes I don't even know if we have <clears throat> a quite clear-cut definition of what it would be. You know, the question I asked at the very beginning of the service, what does it really mean to trust Jesus? Because even when we use the word trust or faith, we say those are synonyms. You say have faith in Jesus. What does faith mean? What well, means to trust him? Well, what does to trust him mean? It means to believe him. Well, what does believe him mean? You can see how it just keeps going. What, what does that mean? 
We use that, those words in our culture all the time to describe things. But, you know, when you read this account, it pops up big time, especially when you read other accounts of Jesus doing these kind of healings. But here, even in the fulcrum of the whole passage is them talking about what does it mean to believe Jesus? Your faith has made you well. Continue to believe. You know, what, what does that mean? Mark wrote this in 50s, 60s AD, and when he did, he, what he was doing was writing a gospel to a bunch of Christians who were suffering in Rome. And not just, you know, one-time suffering, they were being persecuted, ongoing in their faith. And if there's anything that really presses in on what does faith or belief mean, it is suffering. And particularly long-term and Mark wanted to, to write an account. He followed Peter and Paul who, who gave him, this is basically, Mark is given to us essentially through Peter's memoirs, but to understand what does it really mean to have faith in Jesus? What does it really mean to believe him? So much so that it informs the way that you, you meet suffering, be it for a moment or for years as we even see in this passage. So we're gonna look at, at this passage in just two questions. What is faith and then how do we have it? Because I think we need to define it. What is it? And then how do we have faith? How does it actually play out in our life? You know, um, it's interesting. It begins, like I said, in, in verse 34 and 36, kind of in the, the heart of this passage. And I love that Mark writes this almost like a split screen for you producer video types out there. It's almost like you have these, this split screen of these two stories embedded in each other. And I, it's really cool how he does that. And what he does is right in the middle of it, when they overlap, he talks about their faith. Verse 34, daughter, he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Verse 36, talks to Jairus. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler, that is Jairus of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Two places where it's saying, believe, have faith. Your faith has made you well. But what does that really mean? Does it mean her faith made her well? Or does he need to believe more? You know, at the turn of the century, there was a thing called possibility thinking that came out. I don't know if you recognize that language, but it was an ideology that was really informed and infused into our culture. You see it all the time. But it, it really was um, a philosophical thought where you thought, began to really work to see the possibilities rather than lending yourself to the impossibilities. You hear all the phrases, you hear it. Believe it and you can achieve it. You know, those kind of things. As, as cheesy or schmaltzy as that may be, that's in, in our Western culture, that is how we live, right? That is a massive saying. Uh, you know, vision board, uh, may, I will manifest it. You know, those kind of things where we put ourselves in it. I mean, I was watching Kung Fu Panda the other day with my boys. I've seen it before. Kung Fu Panda. The panda, you know, is all struggling with despair and what are the, you just need to believe, you know? And they're like, sweet, now I can know Kung Fu. You know, like, is that how it works? Uh, do you know Kung Fu through your belief? You know, I mean, it's in there. How, why do so many um, athletic interviews in the same? So you have this, this storyline of a team that's down, they come back, the person who's kind of the MVP or the star is interviewed, and typically what they say is, hey, how, how'd you come back? How'd you make it back in the game? We just, I believed in my teammates. I believe we could, we, we just believed and we did it. But what is that? What is, what is that? It's possibility thing. It's that positive thinking. But you know what we've done? We've actually taken our faith in Jesus and done the same. We actually have in some ways thought, 
man, if I just think enough on him, I can will it. If I put enough in Jesus, maybe what I need to happen will happen. See, a couple of things that, that, that are off about that and what, what faith isn't in this passage and in the Bible. Faith first is not a, a quantity. It's not an amount. And oftentimes we can read it that way. If I put just enough faith quarters into God, he's gonna give me what I need. If I will it enough, if I put enough into it, it'll work. I mean, even here in verse 36, uh, when Jairus learns that his daughter has died and Jesus, overhearing what they told him, says to him, do not fear, only believe. Even the language only believe is, is the verb tense is a continuous belief. Just continue believing is what he's saying to, to Jairus. Continue believing. Continue believing in what? Like, continue, hold on to it, right? Don't let it go. Have enough of it. But is that what Jesus is getting at there? Is it enough of that? Or is it a quality of faith he's getting at here? Is it a purity? Is that even what in verse 34 when Jesus says, your faith has made you well? Did the woman after 12 years finally get to a place where she felt like her purity, her confidence is she could rid herself of all, she's tried all the resources, used all her money and rid all herself of doubt enough in order to believe Jesus enough. So all she needed to do was touch his garment. Is that how faith works? But that, you see what the issue is. I, I, man, I remember even as a, a youth director years ago, uh, one of my students passed away of cancer. And there were comments swirling about her death, even in our church, of saying, man, if she only believed enough, maybe she wouldn't have died. So even you feel that moment of, really? No, that's, is that how faith works? Faith isn't a, qual- a quantity or quality. It's a focus. You see, the, the issue here isn't on having enough of it or or ridding self of doubt, it's actually where the faith is placed. It's where it's placed. Flannery O'Connor, I love, said this well. She's one of my favorite Southern uh, writers and she was actually a Christian who wrote really honestly about faith and doubt and her struggle. But she said this, she said, your beliefs will be the light by which you see, but they will not be what you see and they will not be a substitute for seeing. What she's getting at here is that faith itself, oftentimes we can look at our faith as the object, as the thing to get us through. If I just have enough of it, or if I just purify this faith of mine, then I will be something. And then I'll have something. Then I will be okay. But see, what, what Jesus is getting at, faith is actually, and this is what Flannery O'Connor is saying, faith is what I've described before, is like a windshield. You know, when you're driving along, and if you look at your windshield too long, you're gonna crash. A windshield is not meant for you to just stare at. It's meant for you to look through to see where you're going. And that's what faith is. Faith is what you look through to see the object as it is. And sometimes that object can be messy. For Jairus, it was Jesus, just, just Jesus come and you just do your thing. You can get this sickness out. For this woman, it was if I could just touch his garment. Maybe his garment is the object of faith. I remember when I was uh, flying one time to <clears throat> uh, Florida some years ago from Nashville to Florida to meet my family at the beach. And as I was sitting in the, in my seat, I, I noticed this father and his son come down. He sat next to me. Son was really excited. You could tell this is one of his first times to fly, if not the first. And he's asking his dad also, hey, 
can I really order anything I want? You know, he's like, the buttons, if I push this, anybody's gonna, they're just gonna come ask me what I want? He's just freaking out. He's loving every moment. Well, then <clears throat> soon after, uh, uh, another child walks down the aisle and sits right in front of me, pretty quietly. I, I can tell this is probably maybe the first time that this kid has flown before as well because the flight attendant came up and, and, and asked, are you, everything okay? You need anything? The first time not only to fly but by themselves. And I didn't hear anything, but I could just tell there was a nod as the flight attendant acknowledged and walked away. And, and just, you know, during the flight, seeing this little arm on the armrest. And while we were flying, I noticed, and I was watching both of them, one of them over here with his father, I mean, just kicking back. Like, I get another Coke, you know, his dad was just pumping this kid full of caffeine, right? And this young child in front of me with arm on the armrest really never moved and having a flight attendant come all the time, just, check, uh, just checking. And every now and then, maybe I'd hear a, yes, very quietly. Or it'd be a nod. But the question is, which kid got to Florida? Both of them, right? Why? Because it wasn't on their amount or the purity of the faith. This kid having a party, he's fine. His confidence is through the roof. This kid had none but it was not based on the amount that they had or the purity of it. It was based on the object they were in. It was the plane they got in there. See, that is what Christianity is trying to get us to see. It's trying to pull us out of our Western mind of thinking, we just need to will it to happen. And it's driving our hearts back to see how we have faith in Christ. How do we have it? If you look at their circumstances, their, their stories, and, and just like ours, their circumstances can really dictate their faith and it can't ours. And if you read the story, it's, it's both beautiful, tender, excruciating. I mean, there's so much packed in this that it's just, it, it can rock us. But here's the thing about what Jesus is doing. And I read this article uh, some time ago called The Case for Prayers, even if you're not uh, don't believe in God. It was a, a, an article in the Atlantic about praying. And it was really kind of getting at the fact that so many of us throw out this phrase of, oh, you're in my thoughts and prayers. You're in my thoughts and prayers. Kind of, kind of just throwing out almost as if you want to equate prayer for faith, you know, because you pray to what you have faith in. Uh, and this article drew out the idea of, okay, for those who, why prayer is important for those who may not believe in God, because it imposes action. It encourages you to step in and and to really think about, and it can do physiological things to, to you. But it also swung in to say, you know, for those of us who say, do believe in God and say, I'm praying for you, are we also leaning in with action? Which is great. But the thing I noticed about this article that was a little missing was that both were driving us to action, but not to a person. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. See, Jairus and this woman are in action. And their faith is in action. But what Jesus does is he turns them to not just action, but to him. To the person of faith. Because circumstances change. But what holds in the midst of any circumstance? Uh, if you read <clears throat> about Jairus here, this man is a ruler of a synagogue. This is a high priority man, and he flings himself in such desperation at the feet of a carpenter. 
And just as any of us would, if a child, one of our children or a child in our life, when we see a child in pain or on, on, in, into that degree, Jerry is saying, even my, my daughter is at, at death's door. It drives, I mean, it, you can feel it. it. It causes me as a father to say, I would do any, I would throw my whole world in front of his feet. What he wants his little daughter just thinking about that. And you can see Jairus even saying to him, please do anything for me. Please come heal her. You can heal her. And here's the fascinating thing. Jairus is a ruler of a synagogue. Why, why Mark gives us that description is because his duty day after day was to go in the temple and actually arrange the temple for worshipers to come in and worship. Here's a man who put his life into helping others put their faith towards God in worship. And here he is at the, one of the most crucial times of his own life to see if his faith is real or not. And then comes this moment where a woman touches Jesus' cloak, the robe, and stops the whole thing. And Jesus turns to say, who touched me? And this woman comes Think about her, and he gives us a window into her. And it's almost like this parallel story. We see Jairus, and then we see this woman who's, who Mark stops to tell us just a moment to say, in verse 26, that she suffered under many physicians and spent all she had and was no better. She was no better. I mean, her life, she had exhausted herself with such a shameful, difficult physical condition and all she can think is, if after 12 years, is if I could just touch him, if I could, if I could come to him, if I could just line up things just right to where I could just get a, just a, a moment of his robe, I would, my life would be made. I'd be, be, I'd be changed. But what happens? Probably one of the things that would freak, it would freak me out. She touches it immediately realizes that her body is being healed. She could feel her body being healed. So, so incredible. She's walking away and the whole crowd stops. And Jesus is saying, who touched me? And all of a sudden she's scared. And wouldn't she be? See, the other thing about this is she is an outcast. See, for someone, if you read in the Old Testament for what she, the condition she had, she was not supposed to touch anyone. In fact, she was ceremonially and religiously and socially unclean. She shouldn't even been in that crowd. And all of a sudden it stops and he's looking around and brings her back. And what does he do? He doesn't just say, why'd you touch me? He wants to bring her in because why? She could easily touch his robe and leave and think her faith is, oh, his robe. What's the object of her faith then? Her robe. She could easily touch the robe and walk away just like we could with anything else in superstition and think his robe is something around Jesus, something nearby him and touch his robe and leave or the healing itself. But that faith only draws back and that's, it doesn't give back. Jesus stops her and brings her back. And actually, Mark, I love how Mark draws it out to say, and here's her story. Makes her say, why did you touch me? Because he wants to instruct her whole world about what faith is. 
what it means to trust in him. That it can't be superstition, it can't be the healing, it can't be you walking away and thinking I'm, I'm good, but that your faith is connected to me. Why in the world of all the people in that crowd, she's the only one that's healed? Everybody else is touching him. Her faith is connected to something bigger and he needed to teach her that. What are our circumstances? What are yours? Where it would be easy for us to manage our circumstances and think our faith is in a good day, our faith is in a bad day, or whatever is going on in our life. It could be that. Way back in the Old Testament in Daniel chapter three, there's a great passage where it's an old, kind of one of those old Bible school passages that maybe you've heard before about these three names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are some great names. And these were three men who in, in the land of Babylon at the time said, look, I'm not gonna worship anything but God. And the king at that time, Nebuchadnezzar, said, if you don't worship me, you're gonna die. It was an incredibly oppressive culture. And they said, no, we, we will only worship God. And so as punishment, he gathers them, says, I'm about to throw you in this furnace. You have one last chance. What are you gonna do? You're gonna worship me or are you gonna worship this other God you're talking about? That is the God. And this is what they say. Daniel 3, 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If, it be, if this be so, our God, whom, is, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And you would think it would stop there, but listen what else they say. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, little g gods, or worship the golden image you have set up. What are they saying? Fascinating. God is powerful enough to deliver us from this furnace. But if he doesn't, we will not shift our worship to you or anything else. Because the object of who we are, it can't be in anything that changes can't be in anything that we think can limit or un make us unlimited. It has to be in a person. It has to be in the person who is above all those circumstances, God. The one whose love for us never changes. It's incredible that when our faith is met with that, how much it grows and thrives. Even not just the circumstances, but waiting. Isn't there, there's nothing more painful than time or waiting that erodes our faith. I mean, imagine Jairus here for a moment. He's walking, all of a sudden Jesus is with him, the crowds are going, and all of a sudden it stops. He, he had talked to Jesus, he had flung himself at Jesus' feet. His hope began to build to say, here's the guy who can heal. Jesus says, I will go with you. He is with him, and every step to his home is building hope and hope and hope, all to turn and say, why is he not following me? Why is he stopping to help this woman who could be healed at any other time. I'm on a, I can't wait. This can't wait, Jesus. And we don't see him say anything, but by Jesus' reaction to him, even encouraging his faith, you can tell he has crushed. Because every, every moment that he thought was his, for his daughter to be healed was, was going to be saved and this is a really powerful moment because Jesus says to him as I read to you before 
don't, they, they come and say, why trouble, don't trouble Jesus anymore. And, and that is an easy thing to do. It's like when, when we're waiting, the, the, the time limits, the, the life limits, we tend to go, God, you're limited. I know you, you can't, isn't that what they think? And we do too. Even as they're there, the rulers of the house said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher? Don't, don't bother him anymore, she's died. And Jesus, hearing them, says to him, do not fear, only believe. And in the tense again is don't stop believing. Now, don't, I know right there, your mind may go to the journey song. But here's the thing though, here's interesting about that song, I will say this, journey song, it says don't stop believing. What's the next line? Don't stop believing. Hold on to that feeling. Some of you will sing it in your heads. Now, is Jesus getting to him and saying, hold, hold, on to the, hold on to that confidence. Hold on to that feeling. Don't let it go. But as you and I know, our feelings are limited. They come and go like that. What is Jesus focusing on? Don't take your eyes off me. This woman has a chronic illness too. Think about the times, 12 years, 12 years years she has undergone this only for physicians to look at her and how embarrassing and shameful for her to constantly be looked at and seen worse never socially getting better never feeling better and some of you who deal with chronic pain know what chronic pain is like you have good days and you have bad days and a lot of them feel bad and you sometimes try and feel it this waiting for her. Imagine 12 years of waiting. Oh, oh, if I can just touch his robe. You see what Mark is doing? He's putting both of them in a position of waiting. I was hearing a podcast recently about how we shouldn't push 2020 away. How most of us want to be like, okay, can we move on to the next year? And some of us have joked like 2021, looked at 2020 and said, hold my beer, watch this. It's going to be a worse year, you know. But 2020, for a lot of us, holds a lot of pain. Think about it. And, and one of the things that's noticeable about it, we've had a lot of events in our country and even in our city, the Nashville bombing being one of them. A lot of things, right? A lot of things are events. The pandemic has been different. It has not been a one event trauma. It has been an ongoing, still in it trauma. And for many of us, it's done a number of things. It's drawn out you emotionally. It's attacked your families. It's attacked you. And some of the work, we don't even know what it's done. But what this podcast was saying that I really loved was saying, don't push 2020 away because it's not the moments afterwards where God and your faith meet. It's all through those moments. It has not been the, that moment that, this woman's 12 years have been divorced from her faith. Her, it, her faith has been all in and through it. This is why Jesus brings her to him so that she doesn't, she could have left healed and been fine and lived her life. But what does Jesus wanna do? He wants to say, the last 12 years are not for naught. They are not wasted. As the object of your faith, as the pinnacle of it as the one who made you well. Your faith has made you well because your faith in the real object, not the garment, not in being healed, but in me, the one who brought you back and called you daughter, made you well. That's faith. 
You know what's profound in this is how Mark wants us to see the difference between these crowds and what it means to be a child. Because this, the last thing that he really says, if you catch it, you can, you can see it in there. But that both of them, Jairus and this woman, are surrounded by these crowds. The disciples ask the best question. They make the best comment. Jesus, you're asking who touched me? You're around a million people. But if you really do stop and think, why her? I mean, all those people brought all their stuff. It's not like they didn't have a bunch of issues going on in their lives. Some were probably, others were probably sick. Others probably had major issues going on in their lives. And they were surrounding Jesus. Why is it her healing specifically connected to Jesus? Because Jesus' faith, what it meant, what is he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. He doesn't just heal her. He says, you're a daughter. See, Jesus actually pursued her. Her faith didn't put Jesus in the position of being the healer. Her faith was made because she is a daughter. And not just that, but when he, Jesus continues going on to Jairus' home, there's this crowd of professional, they're actually professional weepers. And they're led out. They're mocking Jesus. They're laughing at him in a ten, an incredibly tender moment. And Jesus has the moment to, to heal another daughter. And when he says Talitha Kumi, what he says is little girl. The actual reading of it, I think honestly, the best translation of it is in the Jesus Storybook Bible. Because this is really what it says. It says, honey, as he reached his hand under It's time to get up. And as he reached down into death, he gently brought the little girl back to life. You see what Jesus is doing? He's making them see that their faith is connected because they're daughters, not just crowds. And it would be so easy to think that faith has to do with just us being around Jesus. But it means we actually are a part of his family. That's what this table is. This table is an unbelievable thing because the thing that no one says in this passage, but if you're possibly Jewish and reading it, you would say, whoa, the woman who comes to Jesus shouldn't be touching anybody and yet touches Jesus. And because she's unclean, Jesus is unclean. And you didn't touch right in the Old Testament, right next to touching anybody who's unclean in that way is you don't touch anyone dead or you're made unclean. What does Jesus do right after that? He touches this little girl who's dead. Jesus is willing to make himself defiled, to take on all of the things that would break our faith and defile our faith in order to give us faith. The only thing that doesn't change in all these passages, in all the world, is Jesus. He doesn't change with the circumstances. He's not limited. That's why he does his faith doesn't just go out to anybody. It goes to those he's made daughters and sons. That's why coming to this table, you can't come to this table and just take this meal and think that that makes you a part of it. We can, you don't be a part of the crowd. Come to this by faith, trusting in him. Don't trust in the meal. Trust in the one it points to. Trust in the one who doesn't change. Notice, this meal doesn't change. And you know what's beautiful about it? 
This meal shows that he was willing to be defiled for your faith. It's his body and blood. He is the holy sacrifice made for your faith to be holy. And one day, your faith and my faith will end. Because every time we come to this table, I say what? We say, we proclaim his death until he what? Comes again. And when he comes again, our faith will actually come to its fruition. Can you believe that? The object will be made so whole that we won't even have to have faith anymore. We will be in full relationship. That's why he is the constant object now until we go. Praise be to God for that. Let's stand now.